questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Welcome to Restoring the Soul. I'm Michael John Cusick, and this is the podcast that helps you close the gap between what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the program, and it's a great one today. I am talking with New York Times bestselling author, counselor, and teacher John Eldridge, who is probably best known for his book, Wild at Heart, but who is also the author of at least 13 or 14 other books, including Beautiful Outlaw, Love and War, The Sacred Romance, and Fathered by God. You can learn more about John and his ministry at ransomedheart.com, which is a ministry devoted to helping people discover the heart of God, to recover their own hearts in God's love, and to learn to live in God's kingdom. Again, that's ransomedheart.com. John grew up in the suburbs of Los Angeles, which he claimed to have hate, and he spent his boyhood summers on his grandfather's cattle ranch in eastern Oregon, which he claims to love. And of course, that's unpacked in a lot of his writing as he writes about wildness and the wilderness and adventure. John met his wife Stacy in a high school drama class, but their romance didn't begin until they each came to faith in Christ after high school. John went on to earn his undergraduate degree in theater at Cal Poly and directed a theater company in Los Angeles for several years before moving to Colorado, where he taught at the Focus on the Family Institute. This is an amazing conversation. We started out to talk about his newest book, which is a 365-day devotional journal, which I do reference at some point in the interview. But that book is called Restoration Year, and it's a hardcover 365 journal that I think is really exceptional. You'll want to check that out. That's available, of course, where you buy books or any fine store, but also at ransomedheart.com. Let's jump in now to part one of this two-part interview with John Eldridge. John Eldridge, I'm so happy to be talking with you again. Thanks for coming on the program. Oh, Michael, it's good to see you. Good to be with you again. Honored to be back. Last time you were on this podcast, I don't even think the podcast existed, but you uh, allowed me to come down to the outpost in Colorado Springs and turn on the microphone in your studio with you and Craig McConnell, your dear friend. And um, this time we're without him, but I'm excited to talk more deeply about restoration, which is what you've really committed your life to teaching and being all about. Yeah, this feels like two men coming back from the front to swap notes, doesn't it? Yeah, it ha- it has that feel, especially with some of the, the conversation and even the, the prayer time uh, a moment ago before I hit record. You know, people may be familiar with some of your books, Wild at Heart, Waking the Dead, Love and War on Marriage that you wrote with Stacy, uh, The Sacred Romance, and you've, you've probably as prolific as you are, you've probably written close to 25 books. No, no. I think I'm like 13, 14. Okay. Well, I guess I'm counting all of the spinoffs and things. Oh yeah. The workbooks. You're probably right. Right. And the uh, chicken soup for your soul, wild at heart and the (laughs) wild at heart calendar. We have no swag. 
Yeah, except for there's one T-shirt that I've seen, though, on your website, isn't there, for men that attend the boot camp? Yeah. Okay, but you're a swag-free ministry, and I, I, uh, I support that. That's good. So if people might have read one or even a handful of your books, I want people to understand uh, what you're about through Ransomed Heart, that there's something that's very, very clearly defining of your mission as an organization and you personally that really aligns with what I do. So can you talk about Ransomed Heart and your heart and what you do? Um, it's always a little embarrassing to, to do that, but let me try. The heart is central. I know that that feels obvious to you and I, um, probably to the people that listen to you, but it's not obvious to the world, and it, it was not obvious to Christendom for a very long time. We've abandoned the life of the heart. And um, so at Ransomed Heart, we're trying to make it central again. Your heart matters. Um, and as soon as you get into the life of the heart in the lives of women and of men, you discover pretty quickly that the heart needs healing. And so we, our primary work is restoring human hearts and souls with a focus on gender. We, we think gender is big. We think it's God-given. We think it's um, important. We think uh, the human heart and the human soul and gender have suffered a lot of trauma in this hour. And we want to see people well. We want to see people get their heart back and, and get set free. And you yourself came out of a background where you did not grow up religious. When you were uh, first uh, a Christian, when you first became a follower of Jesus, was your orientation about the heart, or did you have to kind of drift and shift into that? I think because I was such a broken person, alcohol, drugs, sexual uh, brokenness, um, this is back in the 70s and the chaos of the, the late hippie movement and all that. The restoring presence of Jesus was so wonderful to me. It's all I wanted for anyone else. Um, I wasn't looking for a religion. I wasn't looking for a church. I was looking for the beautiful presence of Jesus and how he restores people. And then that got lost. You know, we, Stacy and I kind of fell into um, sort of modern evangelicalism, much, much good to say about that. But we kind of got lost in doing, doing church. Um, it took some years to circle back around to, I had lost heart again. Uh, I was in my 30s and I was working in D.C. and hating my life and hating my job and and wondering what happened? How, how did this almost like the talking head song. You know, is this my life? <laughs> uh, what happened? Uh, and, and then that began a beautiful thing of um, that. Yeah, there's a great story to that. I was, I was chatting with a friend about my loss of heart. I was in politics. I was in policy analysis, working right in the center of Washington, D.C. And he asked me a question. He says, when you go into a bookstore, do you gravitate towards books on, you know, social policy, uh, that sort of thing. And I laughed and I said, Oh no, I never read that stuff. <laughs> what and a great said, question. Yeah. He said, really, what, what do you, what do you read in your free time? Uh, I said, Oh, I, I go straight for stuff on the soul. 
and he looked at me and smiled and he said, you're in the wrong line of work. Mm. So I left DC and went to the program you went to, uh, got my master's uh, in counseling and, and that began a journey back to the recovery of my own heart. And, and then out of that came this joy, this mission of, of helping people recover theirs. So just like you said that we may take the heart for granted and others may not, somebody might be listening right now and be going in any number of directions because there's always resistance to the idea of the heart. There's always pushback, whether that's from uh, the evil one that doesn't want us to go there or from our own wounds or neurosis. But give me a couple of what you see the key passages uh, in scripture, whether they're big ideas or small ideas about the centrality of the heart. Mm. Oh my gosh, I could start riffing. Okay, the eyes of the Lord rove to and fro across the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully his, that he might show himself valiant on their behalf, right? Proverbs, trust in God with all your heart, right? David, Psalm 119, your word I have treasured in my heart. Uh, and I love this admonition in Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life within you. And then you get into the Gospels and Jesus is continually driving toward the heart, right? Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their hearts, said to them is a very familiar phrase. And above all, above all, Isaiah 61, which is what Christ quotes when he announces his ministry, says, I've come to heal your broken heart and set you free. And I, w I just want to add to that one of my favorites. And you, you just went down my list of, uh, if I had a playlist, they would all be on there. In Matthew 15, the Pharisees are, you know, messing with Jesus. And he, he speaks some uh, very incisive words to them. He says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me, and your worship is in vain, which circles this idea that we can say all the right things, do all the right things, have all the right doctrinal beliefs, but if God doesn't have our heart. And then the verses that you talked about, what I noticed there is that many of them speak about all our heart or our whole heart, and that brings us right to the question of restoration, that we can't live wholehearted or be wholehearted if we don't have a whole heart, right? Oh, yeah. You can't, you, you can't love well. You can't laugh. You can't thrive. You, you can't enjoy things if you are operating with small portions of your heart. Just like in the physical world, if I've got uh, arteries blocked, I'm, I'm only going to be able to do so much physical work. And we don't have that same level of uh, understanding about our spiritual heart is a real entity. Yeah, when Proverbs says, watch over your heart with all you've got, I, I just want to laugh out loud and go, no, we don't. We don't even give it the time of day. The heart is the first thing to go in, in a world like ours where efficiency is the goal the pace of life is absolutely mad. The, the world is constantly traumatizing human beings. The heart feels like a luxury, frankly. 
Say more about that. I, I agree with you, but I think that either would pass over the heads of a lot of people or they might just shake their head and go, I, I don't even understand that, but that the world and the pace of life is traumatizing human beings. Well, um, after 9-11, there was some research that came out that simply watching images of the uh, Twin Towers falling on television traumatized people in the same way as if you had been there. If you, if you consume any normal amount of social media, news, uh, you are delivered the tragedy of the world onto your mobile device every day. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And over time, the accumulation of that, along with, and then we have to, we have to name a cluster of things, there, there is the pace of life. I, I thought it was fascinating, this, this Christmas. The number one selling book on Amazon was the Instant Pot Cookbook. It, it's a it's a high you know it's a super duper pressure cooker thing and basically you can you know cook dinner in three minutes. And what's fascinating about that is people dinner is a luxury, mm. and and that's a mad world by the way. Like if you're in a world where you cannot even sit down and enjoy a meal, you're moving too fast. But that's normal. That's everybody's normal. And and so you take the barrage of the assault on our, our, our attention and our souls, you add to that the pace of life. And then the third piece I think I throw in is the recurrent experience of loss. You know, you may have had a great vacation last summer, but it's gone. And, and, and you may have had an absolutely wonderful childhood, but it's gone. Every wonderful moment of your life is being swept away from you daily. And, and there's this recurrence experience of loss that causes us over time to operate in the shallows of our lives. We, we don't operate from the heart. We, we don't operate from the deep places within us. We just, we live to get stuff done and then get a little relief. And that's what gets guys into sexual stuff, right? Right, yeah. Or, or any other addictions, because unless we're somehow being very intentional about facing those losses and the trauma, that we're going to go somewhere to fill it up and to, to find relief from that. As I hear you talking, I, I just uh, am aware personally, as well as the ministry that I do, that what life has become, and I know it's always easy to refer to a golden age one time, but how life has become the way it is in 2019, it is absolutely not conducive to developing a deep life where we're spiritually rooted in Christ. And just how intentional we have to be and how hard we sometimes have to push against the way that life shapes us. Right, which is why this, and the soul will ask you to do this, by the way. The soul doesn't like it. The soul will push back, and, and it'll push back in lots of ways. But I was just reading Nicholas Carr's book. He almost won the Pulitzer Prize for this, called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And his whole point in that is the amount of social media and, and Internet 
life that the average person consumes is literally changing the structure of our brains. It's changing the way we think. And he interviews very, very intelligent book reading people, PhDs, you know, professors of literature at Duke, et cetera. And they say, yeah, I don't read books anymore. I don't have time for it. And we find the brain begins to just skip along the surface. It's like rock skipping. Mm. Here's the problem. Soul care, soul healing requires drawing from the goodness of God. And you can't draw from the life-giving presence of God if you're only able to give him a flick and a flicker of your attention. Mm. That's very consistent as you talked about the brain and 9-11 and now the book, The Shallows, which I've not read, but I'm familiar with. I just made a note to myself to, to get it. Uh, and hopefully I'll do more than just skim beyond the surface. The whole idea of the right brain and the left brain and the left brain is uh, rational and logical, but it's the right brain that neuroscientists have learned is not just the, emotional and creative part as we often you know say somebody oh they're an artist so they're right brain but it's the it's the part of the brain that is spiritually receptive it's the intuitive attachment part of us and so um what what i think happens is when uh we're traumatized as you first talked about as we're flooded with information and we no longer uh go deep into learning we tend to either go to one side of the brain or the other, and there's not integration. And I know that we're going to talk about integration in terms of the heart, which is a big topic of what you do, but that that begins with the, the uh, cerebral and neuronal integration that truly a person who's wholehearted can uh, equally live out of their left and right brain. Here's the cool thing. Two thoughts on that. First off, part of the, you know, the brain research that's coming out is so astounding. The plasticity of the brain, the brain can be healed. Your brain can be healed. Those, those pathways that have become your normal inability to focus, uh, addiction to adrenaline causing videos, addiction to erotic, you know, the, the brain can be healed and the brain is healed by these beautiful things God has given us, mm-hmm. like beauty, like nature, like a moment's pause. It's amazing what a pause actually resets your brain. And so I just want to throw a lifeline really quick because, you know, this can sound like we're screwed. Right, right. Right? Because I can't change my work, and I can't change the pace, and I can't change the fact that I can't even enjoy dinner. You know, taking the dog for a walk feels like too much sometimes. The good news is, the lifeline we want to throw out there is that the graces that are available to heal the human soul are within reach. You don't have to become a monk. You don't have to leave your life and, you know, go live in Hawaii. There is grace available for the restoration of your soul close at hand. And would you agree? I know you agree, uh, maybe not with how I'm going to say this because you write so much about this, but that many of those graces to heal the soul and rewire the brain are absolutely not religious, 
or typically thought of as religious, like, uh, you know, reading your Bible and those kinds of things. So the outdoors, hiking, hunting, uh, painting, reading poetry, writing poetry, having a glass of wine across from your beloved, those kinds of things. And they're fun. Right. That's the, that's the good news, right? That, that, that's, what I, that's what I was saying earlier. Your soul will let you know. Your soul will let you know when you are further inflicting harm because it'll cry out. And your right. soul will also let you know what it grooves in. Just to get outside and chuck the ball for my dog. I, I'm in the midst of a book writing project, and so I look at a screen for long periods of my day, which is a horrible thing. But to go outside for 10 minutes and chuck the ball for the dog, it's this immensely renewing thing. So it's important to, to declare, literally, as people are listening, and this is very consistent with, I think, classic theology, but if we can quote our hero and mentor, Dallas Willard, he always taught about the soul as not this fluffy, cloudy thing inside of us that when we die, uh, it goes up to heaven and our body is in the ground, but that our soul is actually our body, our mind, our will, emotions. And then I like to throw in there this idea of the inmost being that is all throughout the Davidic writing and Paul's writings and Jesus' writings, but it's our body too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You are a whole person. Yeah, and therefore we experience God, we experience restoration, and we can care for our soul through uh, having fun with our body. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can't neglect the body and get away with it for very long. And oftentimes you can't neglect the body or your emotional world and get past a certain point spiritually. Oh, no question. Because here's the fascinating thing. The book that I'm writing on right now is about finding more of God. And you can't experience more of God without involving more of you. And if you have been whittled down to, you know, a busy, haggard, unhinged human being who's able to give a moment to soul care and, and to the presence of God, you're going to have a hard time enjoying. You know, the, the scriptures are filled with these crazy sentences. Your love is better than life, right? You are the fountain of life. And, and just go, come on, what? Like, uh, these are very real human experiences that are being recorded here, experiences of deep happiness and, and profound well-being. And in order to get there, it requires the restoration of your soul. It both restores your soul, but it also kind of requires more of you to be present. I mean, you know how this goes in a marriage, right? If you, if you are partially present to your spouse and you only remember a third of what they said to you over dinner, it's not going to go well. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so this is such a theme on my podcast People probably get tired of hearing this, but there is this lie that uh, somehow has been perpetrated on on uh, Christianity, at least in the U.S. in modern times, and that is that uh, the more spiritual we become, the less human we become. 
That's horrible. Yeah. Versus the more we live in the truth and the reality of who God is in the gospel, that the more human we become. Okay. Gang, you just have to take Easter. So God takes on humanity to such a degree that he can die. Okay. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, the gospel stories after the resurrection, the most striking thing about them is he's the same guy. Mm. Same personality, same sense of humor. His humanity is not obliterated by his resilient spiritual life, right? I mean, he is now immortal, right? He's already been immortal, but he's been resurrected, and you get the idea, right? This is, this is Jesus in the fullness of the wellness of his being. And he's doing things like having cookouts on the beach with his friends. Hmm. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This is the resurrected life. It looks so ordinary. Precisely. Your humanity is healed. It's not done away with. Which is troublesome for some people that want heaven to be something so otherworldly that it doesn't reflect any of our humanity here. Well, uh, we can't get into all this right now, but you don't spend eternity in heaven. Right, right, because heaven, Revelation 21, right? Heaven yeah, exactly. Come, you spend it right, right here on the earth that you love and all the special places that are dear to you. It all gets restored, gang. And for anyone who is not familiar with you, I think it's your last book, All Things New, which is a book and theology about how that's really God's heart, that he wants to make all things new. This is unbelievably hopeful, and it goes straight to your thing about the tactile experience of human bodies and spirituality, because Paul in Romans 8 says, all creation is groaning for the day of its restoration. So he's clearly referring to this creation, this created order, including the animal kingdom, by the way, and it gets renewed. And you, with all your sensory apparatus and your body and your beautiful soul and heart and mind and spirit, get to inhabit it again. And people are chasing this every single vacation they take, right? We, vacation, we are literally chasing Eden. Well, as you absolutely put it, right? We, we are chasing Eden every time we get a free moment and a little bit of spare change. Yeah. Every time we seek to be renewed on a vacation or a nap, that there's a sliver of that that is a, a, a signpost of the renewal of all things. Yep. Heaven is not detached from all of that. You know, this how God blesses humanness and, and how God loves flesh and skin and bones and, and matter and the material world. If humanity is something that we're to become more and more in Christ, that this opens up this window into what's often, I think, seen as having Eastern or Buddhist roots or something like that. And it's this idea of non-judgmental acceptance, uh, this idea of self-compassion, self-acceptance. And if you don't understand this idea of incarnation and God coming and becoming human and his celebration of humanity, then there's always this inability to be with what is. Instead, you have to uh, strive toward being with what should be or is expected to be. And then that non-judgmental acceptance of, I don't have to hate myself right now because I sinned or fell short, 
allows me to receive grace. And so just this, this whole conversation around humanity, it feels like it's so important to me. It opens up so many different windows into the incarnation and you brought up resurrection and ultimately to the heart of God. Yeah. Here's the mind blower folks. John four, Jesus was walking through Samaria. The scripture says he was tired. And so he sat down by a well and he asked a woman for a drink of water. Okay. So you're talking about the guy, right? Is tired. His humanity was real. He wasn't faking it. The incarnation is not a bait and switch. He was Mm -hmm. hungry. He was tired. He got exasperated with people. I I just, I love the humanity of Jesus because it allows us to, to realize how much ours matters. And, you know, I know there's some people listening right now because I talk with these people all the time for whom uh, depending on others uh, has been a real place of pain where they've been abandoned or wounded or betrayed in that dependency. And as you're talking about that tired and thirsty, that contrary to what people might think, that God in Jesus becoming a person with skin chose to be dependent because he could have, you know, snapped his fingers and called up Culligan water to give him uh, satisfaction to his thirst. And he could have taken a caffeine energy pill or something like that, but he chose to depend on the culture and the people and on what is material. Your whole existence is dependent. You, you literally have to breathe every several seconds. <laughs> it's just amazing. The whole thing is built in. You have to sleep every night. And if you, if you begin to skip that, your body starts whacking out. Your brain starts going crazy. Like, isn't, isn't that the original lie, right, that you can be like God and you won't have to depend on another. You can be autonomous and independent. And again, Willard used to say, sin is not a, a judgment against our personhood or our value. It's independence and autonomy. But man, as you said that, like we're dependent at that level. I was like, oh yeah, I forget that. You literally have to drink water every day. If you go four days without it, you die. And, and God has built in these profound lessons uh, of, of the nature of humanity so that we would um, welcome a life that where we are regularly drinking him in, breathing him in, taking him in. We, uh, C.S. Lewis says God is the fuel that our souls run on. Most people are out of gas. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the themes for me in my restoration and as I get older is reframing some of what I thought the Christian life was about. Mm. And this is a great segue into a passage I'd like you to read from your book, but that, that for me, it's less and less about the right belief or the correct interpretation of doctrine and more about trusting the love of God revealed in Jesus and the invitation to come into this life in this spacious place and ultimately to unlearn what I learned is that dependency and trust is not a good thing. 
but that it's a bad thing. And uh, as we talk about how dependent we are, I'm just aware that what has shattered so many souls is how uh, trust has been broken or betrayed and how dependency has been misused and, and how the truth of the gospel and the person of Jesus just constantly reorients us to we can trust love, that we can trust his heart. I was just going to use love as the example. Okay, so you can you can see how evil operates when the fruit of a person's life and their story is to make them hate the idea of love. That that's evil personified. Mm. Uh, you know the the betrayal, the abuse, the abandonment, the manipulation, the coercion causes us to resent the most beautiful thing in the universe or not you know we're not resenting love we're resenting its its falsehood you know evil did that stuff but it causes us to pull away from the thing that could heal us which is love you've been listening to restoring the soul with michael john cusick produced by brian Beatty and supported by generous listeners like you To learn more about our life-changing intensive counseling process for couples and individuals, visit RestoringTheSoul.com 